Well, Jake, it was an eye-popping figure, certainly much more hot than a lot of economists were expecting. But you don't have to look far in this report to see all of the ways inflation is impacting Americans from uh, energy prices higher by more than 41 percent compared to a year ago, household cleaning products more than 11 percent, apparel and prescription drugs. When you head to the grocery store, well, you can't miss it there either. So on average, food prices are about 10.4% higher, as you pointed out, Jake. But then take a look under the hood of that, and you can see cereal and bread higher by almost 14%, dairy 13.5%, and eggs a shocking 33%. So it is inescapable in this report. As Jason Furman pointed out, it was an ugly report, a very hard to find any silver linings here. Would you concede that pushing the American energy industry is where the answer is here at home as what opposed I, to Saudi Arabia? What I'm what I'm what I would concede is that the last point I want to make is that deficit reduction is also a very important tool for bringing down inflation. And the president's plan involves increasing taxes on the wealthiest Americans and corporations so we can make these investments that we need to be making. Starbucks closing several of its stores in the Puget Sound area over safety concerns. By the end of the month, the company will close five stores in Seattle and one location in Everett. John Hopper said outside one of the more prominent Starbucks that is scheduled to close down. John, good morning. Good morning to you. At the end of the month, we're here at the one at Westlake Center, the Starbucks behind me here. Really popular spot here, but there are concerns about crime, assaults, thefts, drug use as well. And Starbucks says it made the decision to close certain locations based on how many criminal complaints were made and whether stores could successfully lower those crime rates. You see, if you look at the map, where just a couple of months ago it was a lot of green and some yellow, now we're seeing a fair amount of orange, which means you really should, in an indoor setting, a congregate setting, be wearing masks. It's just the appropriate thing to do to defend, to protect yourself. My hope is that the Republican Party moves back to a norm, normal position and not this mega party that it's become in many ways. You poured yourself a, um, a mega pint of red wine, correct? A mega pint? I poured myself a large glass of wine. Right. I thought it necessary. Right. Together, we are expanding access to transportation. Seems like maybe it's a small issue, it's a big issue. You need to get to go and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. It's simple economics. Today it's oil, right? In 10 or 15 years, food, plutonium, and maybe even sooner. Now, what do you think the people are gonna want us to do then? Ask them. Not now, then. Ask them when they're running out. Ask them when there's no heat in their homes and they're cold. Ask them when their engines stop. Ask them when people who've never known hunger start going hungry. You want to know something? They won't want us to ask them. They'll just want us to get it. And welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 92 here on Thursday, July 14th. Bastille with day. contributions uh, from Celia Rouse. Vice President Kamala Harris and the First Lady of the United States, the oh, unique tacos, it's Jill, Jill Biden. Dr. Biden. Dr. Biden. Dr. Biden, if you mind. All right. We are back. Uh, any announcements? Oh, wait. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. Uh, that was going to be my announcement. <laughs> and I'm, I'm Mike McKenna. And 92 is a particularly terrifying number for me. Reggie White wore it when he played for the Eagles and destroyed the Giants for about five Nin years in a row. Ninety-two percent. Ninety-two percent. Ninety-two percent of Democrats. We'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bad. All right. Uh, any announcements other than the fact that I am your co-host and you are the other co-host? Brian, um, our listener in in farmland in Missouri, wanted me to point out that uh, Mr. Biden's problem is not that he is old. It is that he is a commie who appoints commies to important positions. It's a very good point. I 
Uh, that's why I mentioned it because I, I figured I would just use his words instead of try to substitute my own. So that's, that's a very, he, very good point. He also made one other point, which I want to talk about later on, and that is that the actually important primary, the Democratic uh, media primary, has started, and we need to talk about that for a second. All right. Well, I have one quick announcement. We are having dinner tonight with a loyal listener. And as all you as loyal I, listeners out there should buy tell, us dinners. As far as I can tell, there will be no cacio, cacio pepe no on cacio the pepe. menu uh, for this particular establishment. I don't know how that, that happened, but I'm, I actually went I'm to looking it. forward to the la chom. Chaumare. 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 You know, I actually went through the menu. The funny thing is, is, mercifully, it's Thursday. And you know what that means? In French restaurants on Thursday, they serve cassoulet, which is the French version of cleaning out the refrigerator. <laughs> um, these guys, it always kills me. These guys, basically, it's a beans and, and oh, franks right. deal. They charge you 31 bucks for it, for beans and franks. Yeah, it's well, crazy. I had my mac and beans this week. So. It's crazy, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. They did not pay thirty bucks for a French flavor. restaurants. They rip off. No, I'm very excited about tonight. And, so am I. Uh, but uh, only because we're our, seeing that guy. Only because we're seeing Lou. Our yes, and uh, he also provided us with the uh, one of the quotes, one of the s- s- cut scenes. The three from, days of the Condor. Yes, exactly. All right. So this day in history, really quick. I just thought it was interesting. Well, uh, for the Washington uh, set in 1798 on this day. 1789. 1798. What happened in 1798? The Alien and Sedition Acts became federal law. Oh, oh, interesting. Yes. Because on this day in 1789, the French peasants stormed the Bastille. Yeah. Which is yes. actually the- I, I was going to add that too, okay. which was sort of the precursor. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so, and for those who don't remember what those are, they were uh, an ex- a power grab by the Federalists to limit immigration- and also to uh, oppress free speech. Well, which, put a leash on a medium. You yeah, know, I'm yeah. not sure the idea was bad. The execution wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, where do we want to start today? Why don't we start with a, one of yours? Okay, I will start with my breaking news. Um, this is this is as recent as lunch today. Um, Senator Manchin, in in a in a an announcement, I'm still trying to figure out what he was trying to say. Um, at, fuel, fuel, fuel. Yeah, no, no. At lunch gas with gas prices, gas prices. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> inflation, inflation. I can't figure out if he doesn't speak English real well or I. We don't listen real well. Probably some both. But at uh, lunch with the West Virginia Chamber of Commerce, he said, "Here's the deal." He didn't say, "Here's the deal," but he said, that's, Here, a, "That's Joe Biden, right?" He yeah. said, "Here's what it is." The administration can have the health care provisions and reconciliation right now this month. Um. But if they want the climate provisions, they're going to have to wait until August or September. Now, what I think he was saying is, is that anything that requires an increase in taxes, we can't give you this much lead time on. We're going to pop it on you around September 15th and jam the house up against the reconciliation deadline of September 30th. I think that's what he was saying, but I'm not a thousand percent sure. But it is breaking news, in fact. You hear to hear first. Yeah, so uh, one, two quick things. Uh, one is I have the name Senator Joe Manchin has come, like, has become part of nearly every conversation that I have. Today? That has any, no, ever. Mm-hmm. That has anything to do with anything either moving or not moving or a nomination or not a nomination. Like, you know, somehow, some way, he has stumbled himself into everything that you know, is major in this country that, that pertains to Capitol Hill and potentially legislation. You know the funny thing about that? The funny thing about that is – two things are funny. One of them is um, on this raising of taxes, right? And and the Democrats are fishing around for, for how to do this, right? They tried the car- carbon – they floated the carbon border adjustment tax, Um They've now floated the net investment income tax. I don't know what's coming next. I'm sure it'll be another tax. And everyone's pushed back on it. it you're not going to get 50 votes for a tax increase in a debt account. In but that's economy. part of Biden's plan to fight inflation, as you just heard from yes, one of his yes. crack economic advisors. Yes. Raising taxes on millionaires and billionaires will help, will so, help fight the 9.1% year-over-year okay. inflation. This is worth the diversion, right? So the net investment income tax is... A 3.8% tax on passive income for those who are invested in small businesses, typically family members, right? They're family-owned businesses. 
Okay, the 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 reconciliation guys, what they floated was, let's make that 3.8% of surcharge on active income. In other words, if you're working in the business. And about 400 um, various associations signed a letter just torching the idea, just torching it. And to make it worse, on Monday, Joint Tax um, put out a great, great, great analysis. It's just a two-pager. I encourage everybody to read it. I know the Washington Times is going to have an editorial on it tomorrow, um, basically concluding that it's going to wind up leading to increase in taxes in every bracket, an increase in both the tax rate and the amounts paid in the next 10 years in every bracket. It just blows up the whole Biden. Nobody's, nobody's no, going to. That's not possible. It, it, because he promised not to raise it, taxes on people. Making, these, you know. these guys are trying to pick this lock. And I think what Manchin was telling us is we're not going to get it picked for another two months. Come back to us around September 20th, and then we'll jam everybody all at once. I yeah. think that's what he was saying. But I'm not really sure. The second thing about it is, to your point about Joe Manchin, I've had exactly the same experience this week with Kevin Roberts. the guy oh, who, from Heritage? The guy who runs Heritage, yeah. It's like every third conversation I'm in, somebody asks me, Hey, have you met Kevin Roberts? Yeah. Yeah. And he's, I'm, he's making an impact for sure. I, I'm like, I'm minding my own business trying yeah. to eat dinner on Monday night. Yeah. And the guy I'm having dinner was like, hey, do you know Kevin Roberts over at Heritage? Yeah. I'm like, what in the actual hell is going on in this city? I can't yeah. like have a meal without getting packed at. So long story short, who do I meet this afternoon? Kevin Roberts. Kevin Roberts. You just walk right past he him in the hallway. He said hi in your, after your, with yeah, your he meeting did. with our friend. He did. Uh, he did. Friend. And you know what yeah. I said to him? You know how I started off the conversation? It was super charming. I said, can you, you want to come over and do the podcast? I didn't. I should have. <laughs> I said, thank you. You've wrecked my entire week. Yeah. So I told him the whole story. I'm like, everywhere I go, hey, Kevin Roberts, Joe Manchin. Kevin Roberts, Joe Manchin. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Change the subject to everybody. Um, okay, I want to play this clip, and I want to get your comments, since you did work in the administration, and see whether or not this actually happened. There are those who thought with the last administration we sort of walked away from the Middle East, that we were going to create a vacuum that China and or Russia would fill. And we can't let that happen. What a lying son of a bitch. Can you believe that? No, I can't. Did you hear that before? I, no. I'm, yeah, I, this was in an interview over in Israel. That, he did that and, on foreign soil? Yes, on foreign soil in Israel. Yes. He said that. Wow. Yeah. It is really hard to be charitable towards this guy. Yeah. I mean, it. There, I, he 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 must know if he has any sentience left. He must know that that's inaccurate. He yeah. must know it's inaccurate. That the, the the Trump administration, whatever one thinks about the Trump I, administration, I don't those accords were called Abraham. The Abraham, Abraham Accords. Accords. The Abraham yeah. Accord was without a doubt the single most important. Um, breakthrough in the Middle East. Without a doubt. You know why it's without a doubt? Because Secretary Kerry, Special Envoy Kerry, said with absolute confidence that there is no way there will ever be peace in the Middle East without a Palestinian solution. I know because I talk to these people every single day. Yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how terrifying that would be if you had to talk to Kerry every single day? (laughs) I think you'd make peace just to get him out of the room. I I was blown away by that. I was just I, I threw it up there because I want to get I, Wow. I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I got one more in the foreign policy arena. I thought this was also pretty interesting during my research. It's not an attack on our democracy. It's Donald Trump looking out for Donald Trump. It's a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. I don't know that I agree with you, to be, to be uh, fair, with all due respect. Uh, one doesn't have to be brilliant to attempt a coup. Uh, I disagree with that. As somebody who has helped plan coup d'etat, yeah. not here, but, you know, other places, uh, it takes a lot of work. And that's not what he did. It w- <laughs> okay, this is not... John Bolton. Okay, this was about the J6 stuff, right? No, but like, no. Did you hear that? It's about John Bolton, like everything involving did John Bolton. Did you hear what he just yeah, said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I've, I've broken the laws of the United States. I mean, he basically just admitted to a felony right there on yeah. TV. Yeah. If I was the Justice Department. Well, look, not here, but, you know, in other places. If I was the Justice Department, I would have had people at his hell doorstep yeah. the next morning saying, where? Hell yeah. And under whose orders? Uh, hell yeah. You know, the good thing about guys like Bolton is, you know they're going to talk so much, eventually they're going to hang themselves. Yeah, this is this is a doozy here. Yeah, man. This is a doozy. That, and, you know, it kind of floated past. Nobody, everyone's making fun of it. First time I heard of it, I, that's actually the first time I heard it. First time I read it, I'm like, that's a felony under a, at least a couple of different laws here. Yeah. Couldn't happen he, to a nicer guy. Better lawyer up. Couldn't happen yeah. to a nicer guy, ladies and gentlemen. He was in the room when it happened. 
He's a according to his book. <laughs> okay. Fortunately, there were no barbers in the room to help him with his hair problem. We are clipping along because we had uh, a very uh, special uh, segment here uh, on this week's episode of the Unregulated Podcast. We talked last week about the West Virginia versus EPA yep. case. Yep. We talked at length about uh, it in the past and sort of what uh, we may come to what may come to pass. Yeah. As a result, so it's ripple effects. We thought we would take the opportunity to to speak to somebody who kind of lived it a little bit. Yep. In the previous administration, so we interviewed uh, Jonathan Brightbill, who is now an attorney at a firm in town, uh, but he did serve in the Department of Justice under the Environment and Natural Resources Division in um, the Trump administration, and part of his job was to litigate. West Virginia versus EPA on behalf of the, the Trump DOJ. Yep. So we had a, unfortunately, Mike couldn't make it, but I had a chance to sit down with him this morning. So we're going to, our great producer is going to weave that in right now. So you get a little bit of wisdom from someone other than Mike and myself for a little bit, and then we'll head back into the show. Probably good. As we mentioned, I had the great fortune to sit down with someone I've gotten to know over the past few months that I'm so shocked and amazed I haven't known before. <laughs> A uh, gentleman named Jonathan Brightbill. Jonathan is currently an attorney at Winston and Strawn here in D.C. Uh, he's also an adjunct professor of law at Georgetown University, and he served in the U.S. Department of Justice in the Environment and Natural Resources Division over uh, under the President uh, Donald Trump administration. And you're obviously here speaking in your personal capacity, not on behalf of any client or client interests. Jonathan, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. It's been a while since we've had an interview, so you can consider yourself lucky, man. I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. So I, I'm, I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. I'm a longtime listener, big fan, and uh, you guys have an awesome balance of substance and stuff you don't hear in other places, as well as having fun doing it. And uh, I appreciate that. So. Uh, sorry Michael's not here. He had a little mini emergency, but uh, we'll have a good conversation. Look, I brought you on because we had a landmark Supreme Court session, yep. uh, which everyone's talking about the guns and, you know, do Dobbs and everything else. But, right. the, but the thing that when we've talked about this on the show a few times, the thing that really is a game changer for energy and environment and regulations in general is this case, this West Virginia versus EPA. Yep. And you're intimately familiar with it, I know. Yes. yes Why don't I... you tell our listeners sort of your your role in it? Um, and then I want to get into sort of what, how we got here. Sure. And where we go from here. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So my role was I, I served from mid-2017 till the conclusion of the Trump administration at the Department of Justice, ultimately as the acting assistant attorney general in charge of the Environment and Natural Resources Division during the entirety of my time there. I uh, had the portfolio of defending EPA's regulatory policies and regulatory changes, as well as counseling and working with them in the development of those. So I worked with the career staff, uh, professional staff, political staff, and the political leadership at EPA to help um, craft the ACE replacement rule, the Clean Power Plan repealed, developed the strategy, and then uh, and build the record, which ultimately then came to me at the Department of Justice, where I was lead counsel on the case and argued the case in the D.C. Circuit, including for the development and recognition of the major questions doctrine in the D.C. Circuit. It was an unprecedented nine and a half hour oral argument, uh, and uh, so uh, of which I was on the record for two hours, fencing back and forth with the judges. So that's great. That's crazy. Absolutely it was great. crazy. Well, yeah. you guys did a great job over there. Um, you know, we were sort of involved, uh, you know, on, on the outside, both, you know, helping to sort of explain to folks all the great things that were going on, but also, um, um, you know, just the, the idea that, uh, you know, the, the Obama administration and literally Hillary Clinton was was playing on like just keep continuing to steamroll with that. Uh, and we did a whole lot of great work to not I hate the word rollback regulations because it's they're not rollbacks. Right. It's like we we would argue all the time, especially on like um, you know, NPR and stuff like that. Right. 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 We get accused of that. This is right. This is making the getting us back to basics and actually 
making the regulations comport with the law. And where Congress was and what they intended and how they designed it to work, right? Exactly. And in the form of the Clean Power Plan, you had a really remarkably unprecedented departure in terms of EPA. And I don't think that people really understand the scope of what the Clean Power Plan did and would By the way, we called it the Creating Poverty Plan when we were involved in it because that's what it would have done. (laughs) But we were talking earlier before we're on, on the air here. Yeah. If you wanted to design a uh, program that had more sort of with an eye towards politics, I don't think you could have created a, a more perfect program. You would have seen tremendous subsidies, right? And that's the thing that people didn't understand was that the clean power plan, there literally was a clean power plan. And that, you know, I, I and I use this metaphor in the D.C. circuit, I mean, to explain what they really did. But, I mean, they, they created a map of America. And they, they and when I say they, I'm talking about EPA leadership and EPA um, air bureaucrats. office. Bureaucrats, right? right? I mean, they created a map of America. They figured out where all the power was and where things were coming from. And then they came up with a new map that, that those folks without the expertise about generation, um, maintaining reliability, without regard to the, to the economics of the underlying ratepayers and taxpayers and the different states, they came up with a new plan as to how far they thought they could push things and where they wanted to have power. And, uh, and then they backed into the environmental metrics, right? So it wasn't the environmental controls drove the standards. It was economically, here's our map of America. And then they backed into the environmental metrics in order to make that come to come to life, right? Right. I mean, a really amazing assumption of power. Raw politics. I mean, it was like raw politics. It was, it was impressive. And, and look, for the boring lawyer aspect of it, all of that power wrapped up in the word System. Yeah. Because Congress used the word system and didn't define it to be a system that you uh, apply to your technology, to your to your your smokestack or whatever. Right. Because they didn't take that ex- that that uh, effort, which no one thought they needed to do in 1970 or 1977. Yeah. I want I, I want to point to a, a clip that we use all the time because the late John Dingell who was around when they created the Clean Air Act in 1972, was it 70 or 77? 70. 70, said at a hearing while he was still a member, nobody included CO2 as a pollutant in the Clean Air Act because we didn't think the Supreme Court would be so stupid hmm. as to say that it was a pollutant. Like, he was so, he was blatantly... Uh, I'll find the clip. We can probably, but it was it was like put it in the show notes. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. like it was it was him basically saying we wrote this back then, and we didn't think that the stuff that we we exhale was going to ever be considered a pollutant. Now you can argue, okay, well maybe the times have changed, but that means that Congress has to make the change, and that's where this decision is so critical, right? And the in the that from the Supreme Court is that going forward. The Supreme Court has made clear, and to lower courts, that you know, just because you have a word "system" that is uh, has a lot of broad uses, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to have an agency that's going to do something novel, a departure from their past powers, that they've got to have a clear statement from Congress. And if Congress wants agencies to do things now, if they want to delegate, they got to do that clearly. And you know, I, you know, for instance. The uh, there's the new proposed rule that just came out from the Department of Transportation, and they seem to be. I haven't studied it super closely yet at this point, but they seem to be basing in part what they're doing off of Congress's direction to develop. Okay, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. air quotes develop. Air quotes right. develop, and right. and based on that, it's not only then the expectation that they're going to develop, but develop implement, ratchet down, all these other things that Congress didn't write in there. Mm -hmm. So, and, uh, but, you know, I think it's a really important decision, but I also think that one of the lessons to come out of this is, is on this clear statement is that the administrative state got to where it is because not, not solely because of what, you know, what people refer to as Chevron, Chevron deference and what have you, but because Congress 
let it happen, right? I mean, if you look at the Clean Air Act of 1970 and 1977, Congress wrote the numbers. They wrote the standards. They had, yeah. you know, they had experts and they went in and they determined that. Starting with the Clean Air Act in 1990, you know, there was a, a last round of numbers and then going forward, EPA, do a review, figure out if you need to lower the numbers and then lower the numbers, okay? And that's, you know, that's how and why we've gotten to where we are. Yeah, it's almost like a gotcha situation, right? It's like Congress does, you know, wants to like create the illusion that they care about this or that or the other. But then they write these things so vaguely and allow these unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats to sort of meddle depending on what political ideology isn't, you know, running the show at the time. And when things go wrong, they go, well, it's not our fault. Like they write harsh letters to the agencies and say, oh, my gosh, this is terrible, terrible. Change the law. Yeah. Do the hard work of changing the law. You, we should be seen. I, I, I'm on this rant all the time. Yeah, we right. should be seeing lots of little changes all the time. Yes. I little bills change, change, change. Something goes wrong, not anticipated. Tweak, change, tweak, change. Right. But that doesn't really work in this climate anymore. So like the committee structure is broken down. Everything's got to be a giant bill with a giant package. Right. And there, there are no incremental changes. Everybody wants to be trading off, you know, doing some little bit of good for the, for the people for something else later on. Yeah. And I've been saying forever, um, the, the major environmental statutes, the endangered species act, clean water act, clean air act, NEPA, um, you know, these, these statutes are, woefully antiquated they're there both sides agree like that's the reason we're in this fight in the first place on the clean power plan is because the environmentalists are trying to fit a square peg in a round hole and trying to like when obama said and gorsuch by the way in his concurrent opinion referenced this was well i got a pen and a phone pen and a phone yeah right so if i can't skin this cat this way on the hill i'll do it i'll do it with my my good buddy you know gina mccarthy right so um they have, they have. We have to get back to that where we've got a, we have a Congress that fu that functions and is accountable. These statutes, and I tell the Greens, like, let's fight it out and see where it goes. If you think you've got the votes to 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 for Congress to say CO two is a pollutant, fine. Let's vote. Let's vote. Yeah, that's what I say about the carbon tax all the time. Let's vote. Quit talking and let's vote. Well, and one of the, I, I think, important things about this Supreme Court decision, and it goes beyond EPA, right, because this is a major decision for administrative law for all agencies. So I think you're going to see this decision quoted and cited a lot. I mean, you're already seeing, seeing it quoted and cited a lot. I've seen a lot of, of, of Supreme Court cases in my, in my career, you know. And uh, a lot of people refer to decisions saying this is a big deal or that's a big deal. And I kind of roll my eyes and think to myself, you know, we'll see. This one's a big deal. Yeah. This one's a big deal. Well, tell us, tell us what you think short-term, mid-term, and long-term. Like, what are we going to see immediately as a result of the case? And maybe explain a little bit about, like, this new, I would argue, is sort of a new paradigm with this major questions yeah. doctrine. doctrine. So it's not really a, a, a even though Justice uh, Kagan you know wanted to position it that way it's not it's not new right it's something that has been developing in the, in case law for an extended period of time it actually stems back to some decisions that were coming out of some aggressive actions by the Clinton administration by the late Clinton administration and there were a couple decisions there where the Supreme Court did not afford Chevron deference uh, it seemed to be calling for a clearer statement. And then uh, the the doctrine didn't see a lot of legs. It got named, um, but it didn't, it never really by academics, but it didn't really get a lot of play in the courts. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the UARC decision in 2016, which was a, cl a climate decision, was one of the most significant uh, resuscitations of the doctrine, because even though the doctrine still wasn't named, it continued to picked up on the line of cases. And then really uh, EPA and we gave it a big jump start in the repeal of the Clean Power Plan because uh, we expressly relied upon it. The Supreme Court decision quotes upon quotes from EPA 
uh, and EPA's own direct uh, uh, citation and reliance on the doctrine as a reason why to, to repeal the Clean Power Plan. And uh, ultimately, the, we got a dissent in the D.C. Circuit, and uh, it, the other litigants, many other litigants, started, started uh, really seizing on that and quoting it very widely. And uh, we got some decisions earlier this year from the Supreme Court that uh, where it was mentioned in concurrence, and then this is the actual recognition mm -hmm. of it. So mm -hmm. it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, it's that's not a, new. That's stuff, stuff that we layman like me wouldn't know. Yeah, because I I was just assuming that I knew that we were building up for it. Yes, but I didn't I didn't have that background. So thanks. Yeah, and uh, and but so now going forward, uh, I think over the short term you're going to see a lot of litigants using this. Uh, it's had success against the you know, vaccine mandate. It had and uh, that certainly was in the background of the vaccine mandate. Uh, as well as in the CDC eviction moratorium. Mm -hmm. We have express recognition of it now. And I think you're going to see it on a lot of these other proposals and policies that are on the statement that are where agencies are proposing to move well beyond what they've done in the past. SEC, you know, FARC. Uh, right, on two the pipeline, on the pipeline. Certificate statements. policy statement. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think those are two places. Uh, Commissioner Christie himself in his dissent on the certificate policy statement invoked the doctrine as one of the reasons he was dissenting. So I think that okay. there's a lot of opportunity there too. Yeah. So in the short run, you think the bureaucracy is going to reassess some of uh, their level of aggression or do you think they're going to go for it and, and see, cause you know, they're going to go for it. Yeah. yeah. They can't help themselves. Right. No, no, well, that actually will help us in the long run. Right. If they have more and more of these cases, if you get they... more of these cases. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would be surprised to see them dial things back. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, you know, you, you, you see what's happening more broadly, right? It's, this is our moment. We're going for it, right? Yeah. And so- Still wanting to pass trillion dollars of government spending it with 9.1% inflation. They're so, going for it, right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, so I think that then, you know, over the medium term, you hope that this is going to affect how Congress does its, does its business. And you already are hearing uh, some discussion of that on the Hill, even on the Democratic side, uh, with respect to what's happening in crypto and some other places mm -hmm. where where, uh, where you hope that, that they're going to be more active, right? And more granular, too. More granular, right? yeah. more granular. Right. And that's what's important, right? Getting back to this idea that, that, you know, Congress used to set more numbers. They used to set the standards. And, you know, um, the RFS standards are, oh, are yeah. another example, yeah. though, of where Congress went in. And they set the numbers. They determined what it is, and we're wildly off. <laughs> yeah, and, and, <laughs> right. But, but you know, but right. but that kind of comes back to the small, small right, tweaks right. that Let's, we don't do. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Fix you know? it. Right. But that. Um, but you know, they've if they've got to get back to they want to get control of the administrative state. Then, then Congress has to start doing more of the work themselves. Yeah, but I think that um, this is also going to be a, sort of another bright line between the two parties because the. The Democrats' agenda is not popular, right? And so there are like, there are many the the polls are not looking good for them, right? This time. But yeah. but the overall thing is is that the idea of this powerful regulatory state is is exactly what they want because they can turn it over to them to do the dirty work, and then they can sort of during these times when gas prices go up through the roof, which is by design from these policies. They can wag their finger and say, oh, my God, you know, this is terrible. You need to fix this, right? It's so, the accountability, right? Right, exactly. You know? And so. at some level, you know, there are those that theorize that's why it's gotten to where it is, right? Congress knew what it was doing when it was yeah. delegating. It was passing accountability. Yeah. Well, I think the, you know, there's a lot of complaint about how powerful the nine justices are and how powerful the executive is. Well, that is a direct result of years and years and years of Congress eroding their own role in checks and balances, right? Yes. They are the, they are all, they were all designed to be the sort of strong arm body of the three branches, right? Legislate, execute, judicial, right? You know, judge. Right, right. Uh, they don't do that anymore. And this is why elections have you know every time there's an election it's like this is the most consequential election in our lifetime yeah yeah this is the most consequential supreme court pick in our lifetime right it's because we because of the result of the dysfunction uh that 
the members themselves have created. So I do hope that there's a resurgence in, you know, getting getting back to basics, doing subcommittee hearings, forging coalitions, full committee hearings, vetting stuff. I had a reporter one time uh, during the Murkowski energy fiasco a couple of years back right, where she right. actually, to her credit, did it the right way and had subcommittee hearings and full committee hearings and you know, reached across the aisle and then had a, a conference committee. Mm-hmm. Had a reporter call me and say, hey, can you tell me, I've never, what, how does this conference committee thing work? <laughs> like, been reporting oh on Congress for a good decade yeah, yeah. and had, n- had no idea how a conference committee works. Yeah, right. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, we have these giant bills that come together yeah. where anything of substance all gets done at once and the committees don't do the work that they used to do. And I don't know. I mean, I've heard you guys talk about the filibuster and, you know, and the accountability there. I think that the filibuster plays a big role in that and a passing accountability, but also making it difficult for Congress to do the little, little things. Yeah. Look, I hear the arguments of people that say, oh my goodness, then, um, then uh, the, the other side, you know, they'll come in and they'll do all this crazy stuff. And, you know, I, I get, I, that's going to happen. I don't know yeah, when it's going to happen, right. but clearly we're inching closer to that. Yeah. And I think the sooner that the dynamic is facially changed and people know, in particular the voters know, and people who support the candidates know, that um, there isn't this thing called clo- cloture that's going to serve as a, as a backstop to you to allow you to, on one hand, advocate for things that are not in your interest as a business or financial mm-hmm. interest, but are not in your interest, and to support those things. Um, uh, um, and at the same time, um, then rely upon the existence of there always being at least 40 um, senators who are going to block anything truly out of line and truly damaging to you. Uh, I think that you know if you if you do away with that, ever, there's more accountability all right. around. Well, Mike, as as my co-host says, it shields the senators from taking bad votes. Well, right? it also I think it also <laughs> shields the voters, right? Exactly from having Which is the most important part. Yes, the voters and then the contributors. The yeah, people and who, it goes back. Let's just take it full circle. It goes back to this whole clean power plan, creating poverty plan, and that is that the loser in all of that were folks ratepayers right yeah. yeah because you had you know business interests and financial interests all like happy cuz we were going to like create this you know we we're going to create the same amount of gigawatts but transfer the way that we do them and there's all this money to be made meanwhile ratepayers never got a dividend they never got a tax cut in all the years of the shale revolution where gas prices, natural gas prices plummeted and coal prices were, were rock bottom, right? They never got a dividend. They never enjoyed a savings in their utility bills because of all this green stuff. And, and Ch- Chief Justice Roberts' decision recognized that this was going to have really significant transfer consequences and saw that changing the mix. And, you know, he's been around for a long time and understands and had been a regulatory lawyer himself and understands state public utility commissions and how rate making works. And the decision on a number of occasions, you know, references changing the mix. And he obviously understood what that meant, that that was not some kind of, you know, that that would not be consequence free, but that it would have real implications on real people. And that fundamentally, there'd be a lot of money moving around. Sure you know, um, through this whole thing. And, and hence, this is not a decision that this should be made by bureaucrats. From the word system. That's right. Yes. Um, that's great. Well, I appreciate it. We could talk for hours and hours yeah. and hours, but we also got a part of our show to do. So, understand, Jonathan, a real pleasure. Thanks for enlightening our listeners. Thanks, Tom. Um, we'll have you back for sure. But as a gift to you, we have this American Energy Alliance T-shirt, nice. sir. <laughs> so well, I think I've told I think I told you off the air that that uh, we actually listened to your kid my show with your with I listened to your show with my kids uh, who actually really enjoy it, and there really is an AEA studio. I want people to know yeah, that, right? Totally. Well, thank you very much for coming. <laughs> Look forward to spending more time with you. Have a great summer. All right, thank we'll you. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.
Okay, well, that was Jonathan Brightbill, and um, you know, we'll throw in a, we'll we'll interview someone every now and then. It, it takes a little pressure off of us to be brilliant I, every week. I right? still I still want to have Tim Puko in from the Wall Street Journal. He's volunteered a couple of times. Right. We should just do let's it, like torture it. him. Yeah, let's grill him. Yeah. Let's grill him. Let's do it. All right, Tim, if you're listening, let's schedule a time to sit down in here in the AEA studios. Um, I want to stick on energy just for a second. Sure. And and I've pledged to you that I would dial back on the my Uh-oh. distaste for EVs a little bit. Yes. But I did find this article in Politico's Energy Wire because you know they bought the E and E family. Was or it whatever. on Rivian or No, no. Here's the here's the headline. Twenty percent of EV chargers don't yes. work in the Bay Area. In, in San Francisco. <laughs> I saw that. I, I did see that. They cracked me up. More than one in five of San Francisco's fast electric chargers don't work, according to researchers who conducted a survey of the EV equivalent of gas stations. Researchers visited basically what they paid college kids to run around. I assume, yeah, visited. I mean, you 181 public direct current fast charging stations in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is the country's top EV market. Resulting study catalogs a variety of driver woes, including blank screens, credit card glitches, and sessions that failed for no apparent reason. The nation's charging network has been spotty for years, and fixing it is becoming more urgent as the growing number of automakers deliver more electric models to drivers. Can I add one thing onto this? You can add anything you want. Yeah, (laughs) two days ago, or Monday maybe, ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, the grid manager on Texas, put out an alert. That asks people not to charge their cars or run their dishwashers yeah. or clothes washers or dryers um, for the duration of the week. Yeah, that's real nice, cause, right? Because because the system was so close to getting rolling blackouts. Yeah, I saw it, a clip it, in it, my research where it, a guy was talking about the weather and warning about blackouts, and literally the power went out in the studio. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. Okay, look, first off. There's two things going on in Texas. Let's just get it out there right now before the bad guys start to talk about it. Thing number one is wind capacity factors are ranging from 2 to 8%. Wait, wind's not blowing? Wind is not, in fact, blowing. Um, what? Right, exactly. So that's thing one. And thing two is, and this is a larger problem, and I can't, I can't seem to get anybody to talk about it. The real problem in Texas, like the problem in a lot of parts of the country, is market design. The market does not value reliability. So it does not get reliability. I, I, I don't understand why people don't understand that. It's so simple. There's literally no value attached to reliability. So there's no value attached to reliability. And that's just the way the world is. All right. Let me just close this article. They tested chargers that use the combined charging system, which the Biden administration said earlier this year would be the standard for federal investments. The study's results mirror the anecdotes of EV drivers in surveys they have said in similar or greater numbers that these charging stations have major problems. <laughs> so, way, one in five I mean, failure rates not a major problem. Uh, I'm I mean, telling you, man. You know, I am telling you. Think about if you went in for heart surgery and a guy said, yeah, there's 20% chance you're going to go cash I out. I am telling you. Okay. Let's move on to your- but Before before you leave that, I also want to point out that this week, maybe Friday of last week, Rivian, the electric truck maker, announced a bunch of layoffs too. Oh, really? Yeah, as t- as did Tesla for that. From matter. the lifestyle company, is that what is that what they're? I'm, this is these are lifestyle companies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. These I'm are not char- car companies. These are lifestyle. Yes, companies. that's true. And you know what? Hats yeah. off to Toyota. You know why? They're not playing ball. They seem to be. Um, they're let, swimming against the current on this. Let, they're like, I think they got one or two EVs just to like say, say they do one. Right, exactly. Let's say that they're less enamored of the whole yeah. propaganda operation than than, than others. Yeah. Hey, and of course, they have breaking ground in West Virginia. Sure, so. and well, that's smart. And Musk and 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 Mr. Musk again this week said that his factories were losing billions of dollars. Which I'm like, I if you're invested in Tesla. I don't understand why, because Musk is telling you every which way he can that that it's a losing proposition. We we have actually uh, counted their demise in the past. We're amazed it's gone this long. I I have. I mean, I. Uh, I, It's. But he actually said himself and recalled this when he was talking to the Babylon Bee guys. He said, "If full self driving isn't part of the Tesla equation, this company is basically worth zero. Um, okay, the Washington Times 
Yes. Our uh, our partners which here one, in the unregulated Which one? I wrote, I wrote two. Your, three. your piece on Biden. Oh, the one that ran today? Yeah. The one that ran today the gaslighting one? was spot, like, <laughs> cuts like a knife, <laughs> spot on. And saying the the part that people know and laugh about out loud, but talking about the grave sincerity yes. of the problem. That, I was gonna that, say that, and here's the headline: Biden's diminished physical and mental capacities pose a risk to the nation. Now we make fun of, we have fun with his mumbling, his stumbling and bumbling, but. Make your point that you made in the commentary re- really briefly for us. Yeah. Um, the genesis of this piece was there was a New York Times article written by Peter Baker, who's a friend of mine and a good reporter. Um, in it, Baker seems to argue that the president is not as diminished as he appears to be. He has an expert that says he's not as diminished, and he quotes a bunch of White House staffers that say he's not diminished. Even though they, even though they acknowledge throughout the entire piece that he is he is teetering, that he shuffles, that he stumbles, that he can't remember words, and all I pointed out was that's exactly what an old man who is failing does, and there's nothing wrong with that. If we're all fortunate enough to live into old age, our systems will fail as well. The bad thing is, is that the staff covering for him is a disservice to the nation and a violation of their oath to the Constitution. And the media covering for him is a disservice to the nation. And we are not talking about a United States senator who are essentially interchangeable with any one of 10,000 people on this planet. We're talking about the United States president, a guy with 8,000 nuclear warheads and printing presses and 5 million people with guns and badges and stuff. It It's... Yeah, not it, to it, mention what it's an I important mean, thing. We observe it. People who observe uh, it—that's what bothers me the most. The sole purpose of you know determining their strategic advantage in the global sure, stage. Sure, of course. Certainly what, observe what, what, it. What bothered me the most was what bothered me the most is is that you know the White House staff and and interestingly enough nobody went on the record on this. White House staff, oh, he's you know he's he's the first guy up in the morning and he's checking with us on a note on page fourteen of the memos we send him. That's a total lie. There's no way in the world he does. That guy can't even read off a teleprompter. No chance he's reading 14 pages of a memo. And he's got more energy than the 25-year-old staffers. It's all fiction. It's a fraud. And what pisses me off about it is that anybody who's watched any of this knows that it's a lie. And, And I guess what bothers me is the media knows it's a lie. And they must know that we know it's a lie, and they tell us to tell it to us anyway. In other words, they know they're lying, and we know they're lying, and they know we know they're lying, but they tell it to us anyway. Same with the staff. It 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 is an offense against everybody's they, native intelligence. And not only are they, they all of that true, yeah. but they don't even like correct. The, there are no there are no Pinocchios anymore. Like. No. The, the administration just sent out a wildly mis- – put this in the show notes, producer. Um, What's up with that? I think put it out. They put out a chart on gas prices oh, that, yeah. are, with, that are rising. Yeah, with the y-axis all the, a They completely fudged the data to make the spread look worse than it of is. Of course. Of course. It, it You know, fudging data, I, I get, but when you – but it's, easy, but, but it's when, easily no. I mean, anyone okay, who, who yeah, but it's easily checked. But most people don't check it. This thing with the, this thing, this New York Times article, essentially the the general theory of the New York Times article was, it, who are you going to believe, us or your lying eyes? Right. And and I will tell you truthfully, that column, my column now, um, has I think been had the most eyeballs on it in the last well, twenty four hours. Than anything on the site? I mean, I, there's a lot of people out there who are like this, again, this is right on. Again, we you know we have a little bit of fun with it here. We we are, but but you really did do a good job. I appreciate talking that. About how serious? Yeah, the, I appreciate the that. It, it, is, it, and it's going to get worse, not better. It, it, it as you can tell, it bothered me quite a yeah. bit. I mean, they, they, yeah. the time the Times article bothered me quite a bit. And it, it, you know, so you had another one that ran uh, the 9th of July. Great. Desperate Democrats start pressing for energy taxes. Yeah, the carbon border adjustment. Yeah, tax. we have another 
Carbon tax popped its head up, right? <laughs> Senator Coons from Delaware, Delaware, the the co, you know, uh, the, the co governor, co co Delaware. He must hang out with Biden every weekend up there. Um, so this, what do we peg this at? Our our analysts said between uh, fifty and a buck fifty a gallon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, actually between ninety cents and a and a buck fifty a gallon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, a- additional price on the price of gasoline. Just gasoline. Yeah, yeah. Not including steel, everything else. Oh yeah, uh, you, you know. know. So so in the middle of this inflationary juggernaut that we're experiencing, the Democrats want to impose a carbon tax. Or, well, let me rephrase. The business community would like the Democrats to impose a carbon tax in lieu of corporate taxes. Yeah, in lieu of a book tax um, or a minimum tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, and, and, you know, I don't blame the business community for not wanting to pay taxes. What I blame them for is, and I think I might have mentioned this in the, in the, in the essay, I blame them for if you don't want to do something, you should lobby against it. You should explain why it's a bad idea. You shouldn't, like, push the consumer in front of you to take the brunt of your your gunfire. I just say, no, 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 don't tax me. Tax this other guy. If you need to pay for it, go ahead and screw American families who are already paying through the nose, ripping through their savings. Their 401ks are eviscerating. It's only getting worse and worse and worse. The price of eggs is up 33%. Year over year, right? You know, and these these are these are not these are not strangers to you. These are your consumers that you're putting in the line of yeah. fire. And and it's the same thing, by the way. Same thing with the net investment income tax. Same, same. We you know the 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 multinational companies would much rather customers and consumers pay these taxes than than the company and the shareholders. Yeah, and uh, kind of, you know one point sad you made, but not unexpected. One point you made in this column is, uh, and and I'm going to repeat it. It would be especially helpful to learn where the Business Roundtable or the Chamber of Commerce stand on the Senator Coons legislation, especially since they've made it clear that they support said taxes. Sure, man. So where are you guys on the Coons Coons legislation Business Roundtable? Let us know your position. Do you support it? And do you state publicly that you wouldn't be wouldn't mind seeing it included in yeah. yet another reconciliation, reconciliation bill to spend a trillion dollars on stuff to heat up the heat up the you know the flow of of, of government cash in an already superheated yeah. economy? Um, Two things about that: you would think you would think the most recent inflation print would have killed all this talk, and I think it has. That's thing one. Thing two is, um, you know, I basically that that essay. Um, the, the blog you guys did on that was was the was the prompt for that essay it was you know oh yeah super Thanks. super super good what we'll add it to the show notes um, yeah totally 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 worth shorter than what I wrote and probably better yeah so yeah. um but you know if I don't turn in a bunch of words then nobody's impressed so. <laughs> you're like Kamala Harris right, exactly <laughs> I got you know I got to turn in words man okay really quick another quick hit I noticed this um, Customs and Border Protection is detaining photovoltaic modules that cannot prove supply chain documentation for quartzite used to make polysilicon. So our Uyghur protect our our yeah, Uyghur the, the, legislation the, that we talked yeah, the about forced, the forced labor protection, forced labor protection yeah. is starting to kick in. It, and they, they and with, we're they, already hearing woes and cries from the business they had, community. They, they have withhold it. orders on those things, withhold protective yeah, orders. They're yeah. holding on to them. Interesting. That's um good. Yeah, absolutely. Good. It 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 you know it, it the what the president did on the on the um, circumvention tariffs is disgraceful and probably illegal. So I'm glad I'm glad CPB is doing their job. That's nice. I, I'm looking forward to doing a little oversight on all this when Republicans take the majority in one of the bodies. All right, and then going back to government industrial policy, uh, I guess the other big ticket item on Capitol Hill that's rolling through oh, is yeah. this chip. China deal, thing. the China, yeah, yeah. you know, competition deal. The latest on that, here's some more developments, is we are now down to just giving, giving a $54 billion yeah. to the semiconductor industry, including a, the largest chunk of it to a company that is that is not a, a United States company, and that is Samsung. Yeah. Um, so big so, fat wad of cash, but at least all the other stuff gets knocked out, right? That's is, that, right. is that a victory? That is a victory. $54 um, billion dollars for an industry that can easily. That's right. There's, there's two things. Has the capital to easily do True. it on their, on their own. True. There's, there's two things in there, right? 
there, there's some stuff in that legislation that would be good to have, but the bottom line is question over tariffs split the Republican caucus. Um, you have seven or eight Republicans who are just on the wrong side of tariffs. They just are. Um, so that's one. So that's why the legislation failed um, or will fail. Um, the other thing is the problem with the semiconductors is not so much the companies that make them. It's the where. Of course, it's um, the where. You know, we, we, I'll tell you, about 50% of the, the ones we use in this country are made Taiwan, in Taiwan, right? Yep. right? And nobody thought anything at all about that until the Russians invaded Ukraine. Right. And then all and, of a sudden, everyone Taiwan was, like, was starting to uh, – China was starting to fly, fly over. Well, you know, everybody states. started to think, you know, is that – that used to be a safe thing. Right. And now – so I, I sort of get it, and it's – I don't want to be that guy, but, you know, $50 billion is a really cheap investment in some insurance here. The only uh, I, thing okay. that bothers me about it is I wouldn't have given it right to the companies. I'd have given it to the, some states or some and had yeah, them you I don't know, know. I mean, do something I, I just – I can't get my hands around this stuff, right? I, I understand the importance from a geopolitical perspective. Mm -hmm. But like when you say, if you don't give me the money, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to break ground on this, on this facility. Yeah. The, it, it... And then – Yes. It's like, I, I need some money too. Uh, you know, I've yes. got stuff, I got bills to pay, tuition, yes. stuff like that. It, uh, it, you know, where's my 50, 50 where's your 52, 52 billion, billion dollars? You know, right? I, I agree. There's a lot of, I, it, I think it's necessary, but it makes me uncomfortable with how it turned out. How about if I say it that That's way? That's fair enough. That's fair you enough. Because, like you say, there's a lot of moral hazard going on here. I know we don't talk about that anymore, but that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, you're. Are you ready for this? <laughs> it sort of depends. What is it? Three. We've lost three now. Three what? Let me play the clip first, and okay. then I'll get into it. Our family has just been overwhelmed uh, with the tokens of love and support and prayers that we've gotten literally from all over the world. And I know, on behalf of my brother, I want to thank all of his fans for the support they've shown and the loyalty they've shown over the years. And, Pray, ask you to pray with us for the eternal repose of my brother. Oh, these Catholics, you can't take them anywhere. Praying for their eternal repose. Tony Sirico. Sure, man. Polly Walnuts. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Ray Liotta. No, I know. Jimmy Kahn. You know, you know, my... Tony, Tony Sirico. By the way, that was Father Robert Sirico, his brother, which is the ultimate, like, sure. irony of ironies. Like I said, like I said <laughs> right? you, you can't take these Catholics anywhere. You, you know, my... <laughs> My parents um, worked and how they met, they worked in the United, Free United Airlines. There used to be a saying in the airline world that crashes come in threes. I know. I was telling Alex, it's I true. was telling our producer that it's this true. morning. Everything happens in threes. It's true. Crashes come in threes. Threes. God, I mean, this, good, I've good, literally been rewatching. I told you the other day, I've been rewatching the, the Sopranos, right? Yeah. And, hey, D. The good news <laughs> yeah, is if you're that guy was classic. There's the good news is if you're Robert De Niro or Joe Pesci, you're probably okay. Yeah, for another right. You got of a years. few years left. <laughs> so and play, play Father Sirico is an interesting cat as well. Why have I heard him? Why do I hear that name? He founded the Acton Institute. Ah, there we go. And he was a lefty radical. Yeah, man. Back in like the seventies, weren't we all? Uh, I was like five. You okay, know. thank so you. I wasn't I, so much of a your, your weekly reminder Plus that my I'm an old influence man. was Alex P. Keaton. So <laughs> I know it's mine. Hardly, hardly a lefty <laughs> radical. So anyway, God rest your soul, Polly Walnuts. Yeah, man. Um, what do you got? Um, I have um, two things. Right, we mentioned the media. Two things we mentioned the media primary. Um. You know, I've I've written this down. I'll say it here. Um, President Biden can't run again. He could barely run the first time. So Democrats are in a bit of a spot. Um, Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, is probably not up for a run either. What are you talking about? But the um, the problem is, is that the demographic situation is such that um, it's going to be difficult for the Democrats to um, skip over her and nominate, a, especially a white guy. And that's well, they could nominate again. a unique taco. <laughs> That's where Gavin Newsom comes in. Um, we'll see how that goes. It, everyone's focused on Trump, and I think he's going to announce here in the next 30 days. Um, you, everyone probably needs to think about the Democrats, too, for a second or two, because um, they got a big problem. So that's yeah, that, yeah. And, and the media, you can tell the Democratic media, legacy media, doesn't quite know what to do about it because they don't, you know, they, 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 they're trying to run Biden now, but they can't think of um, 
they can't think of a good replacement. That's thing one. Thing two is, like I said, I think President Trump's going to announce. My guess would be um, on or around the top of recess. Just as soon as Congress rolls out of town, he's going to yeah, get Yeah, so he say, becomes the subject of the midterms. Sure. Right? Thank you, President well, Trump. Well, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Right. That 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 will both give and taketh away. Right. Um, um, yeah, as I've said, I mean, he's an, he's an equation as much as, you know. Yes. As much as some in both parties would like him not to be, or some in both parties would desperately hope that he would be. He's, he's he is the equation. I've said so. I, I said this right after he lost last go around. Um, he's going to be a force in American politics for as long as he wants to be, and that's just that. Um, why we could talk about forever, but I think it's because people believe, rightly so, that he hears them, he sees them. Most politicians don't. I also think he's different than most politicians is in that his entire life is not about politics. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I actually was talking to a Democratic friend of mine who's offered the job of communications director in the White House yesterday. Um, and I said, um, you know, as was asked the difference between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. And I said, that's easy. Yeah. You throw them both in a party, you know, within 60 minutes – Governor DeSantis is going to be standing in a corner talking with his wife. And within 60 minutes, Donald Trump is going to be the center of attention and everybody's going to want to go someplace else with him, right? You know, they're right. a bar. Right. Um, that's thing two. Thing three, I just uh, did an interview with Tiffany Smiley, who's the Republican nominee, Republican candidate out for the Senate seat in the state of Washington. I was hugely impressed. That's great. I was hugely that's impressed. Great. Uh, yeah. Um, a nurse, mother of three, 15, 13, nine, three boys, um, wife to a, uh, a young army officer who lost his eyes, eyesight in Iraq in 2005. So you think she's um, got a chance at the- I at do. The, uh, I do. Just the mom in, G, in, in, in walking shoes. Mom in tennis shoes. Mom in tennis just shoes. The mom in tennis shoes, now in line to be the, Demo the senior Democrat- you know, on appropriations, just a mom and tennis shoes. Thirty years in the Senate. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. That's right. She came in when I. Thirty came in. years. You know. Oh. I, I. 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 Oh. You know. I, I asked. Me. I asked. I asked Miss Smiley why she. Mrs. Smiley why she was running, and she. Um, she said, well, you know, Patty Murray's been here a long time. If you can't do what you came to do in thirty years, yeah, you probably you, well you probably can't do that. it. Right. So. Um, Anyway, very impressed with her. That's good. Look um, forward to seeing that. Yeah, I'm looking forward in to writing it. In the Washington him. Times. Looking forward to writing it. That's me. That's that's it for me. Okay. Well, I got one from Super 70 Sports. Always, always the most awesome stuff. Yep. Okay. So <laughs> we, we should get that guy. We should try to Now, get that we're guy trying to get the rights to play some songs because this this bit would be much better if we could cut in and out of a couple of his best, best tunes. But here it was from about 1983. To 1991, Phil Collins sang like every fourth, <laughs> fourth song, song on, on the, the radio. radio. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in your car with the radio on for 15 minutes, true, you heard a Phil Collins song at least once. It, That's just how it was. It's true. And then, and those over 40 will confirm this to be uh, accurate. I, I, not only will I confirm <laughs> it to be accurate, I remember very clearly there was a David Letterman bit right at the uh, at, at, during his front end monologue. And I think Collins is going to be a guest, and he's just like, "Please God, please let Phil Collins have more radio play." Yeah, because <laughs> it, it was a running oh. gag, right? Oh, so you don't even know my name. <laughs> All right, so I want to close with this, but first I want to tee it up with the uh, the corollary to the New York Times article that you discussed. Yeah. This was the actual raw polling, yeah, article from July 11th. Yep. Biden, most Democrats don't want Biden in 2024. New poll shows face, Biden is facing an alarming level of doubt from inside his own party, with 64% of Democrat voters saying they would prefer a new standard bearer. Um, so that's the big the big headline. But I actually, I pulled these two, two out because I thought these were more interesting. Only 13% of American voters, this is the New York Times, yeah. New York Times, said that the nation was on the right track. Yeah. The lowest point in Times polling since the depth of the financial crisis more than a decade ago. For Mr. Biden, the bleak national outlook has pushed his job approval rating to a perilously, perilously low point. 
Republican opposition is predictably overwhelming, yada, yada. Democrats, among fellow Democrats, his approval rating stands at 70, a relatively low figure for a president, especially heading into the 2022 midterms. In a sign of deep vulnerability and of unease, only 26% said the party should renominate him in 2024. And of course, Mr. Biden uh, clung to, desperately clung to the kernel of in spite of the misgivings about Mr. Biden's, they seemingly melt away when presented with a choice between Mr. Trump. 92% of Democrats say they would stick with Mr. Biden. Yeah. So. I mean, that's that's a that's, like, like, that's the echo of what I was talking about. The, right. the, 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 the Democrats really don't have a good answer here. They're, so they're going to just keep riding his horse until, yeah. until he can't. And that is... That brings us to our close for this episode of the Unregulated Podcast. Mr. President, what's your message to Democrats who don't want you to run again? They want me to run. Two-thirds say they Read don't. Read the poll. Read the poll, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. Read the polls, Read the polls, Jack. <laughs> Read the polls, Jack. Your president, ladies and gentlemen. That's a wrap <laughs> for this year, this week. Or this year. Namaste. Looking forward to dinner tonight. <laughs>